round of elections. All of those signs in everybody's yard will start going away into some landfill somewhere that must have the most red and white and blue of any landfill anywhere. <clears throat> and I have just one question for you here at the end of it. Are you happy with the outcome? Now, given how politically divided our nation is, I wouldn't be surprised to hear a number of you say, yeah, I'm, I'm generally happy with the outcome of those elections. And I also wouldn't be surprised if I heard a number of you say, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed. Those elections didn't necessarily go the way that I was hoping they might, right? But whether you are happy or you're not, I wonder if this round of elections will change this number for the better. 21%. Anyone know what 21% stands for? This is the standing public approval rating for Congress, according to the most recent Gallup poll. Like, literally only one out of every five adult Americans would say, yeah, Congress is doing a good job. On the flip side, 75%, three out of every four would say, thumbs down, Congress is doing a pretty bad job. Do you know how far back you would have to go? in order to find a time when there was an over 50% public approval rating for Congress, according to these polls? You would have to go all the way back to April of 2003. Like, we're talking almost 20 years since just over half of Americans said, Congress is doing well. Like, apparently we Americans are some fairly tough people to please. Um, I'm going to suggest something a little bit outlandish, though, and put your pitchforks and your torches away until I've had a little bit of time to explain myself. The outlandish thing I'm going to suggest is this, that maybe part of the reason for such a low approval rating actually lies with us. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't hold our elected leaders to a higher standard, right, from those who have much power, much accountability, should also be demanded. Uh, but I do wonder at times if we look to them in a kind of unhealthy way, with some maybe even unrealistic and unreasonable expectations for those elected leaders. Uh, for instance, if you are expecting any earthly ruler or leader to be able to, to craft the kind of, of security around and within our borders so that you can go to sleep in perfect safety at night, having no fear that any harm will befall you, you're probably going to be a little bit disappointed, aren't you? And if you believe that those same leaders should have the wisdom to deal with other nations and have the sort of foreign policies in place so that we have nothing to fear, no harm from any other nation around us, you're probably going to be disappointed. And if you think that they'll be able to craft the, the, the economic policies that allow uh, for, for everybody to live in prosperity so that they eliminate poverty and also to eliminate at the same time manipulation of the system so that the powerful can prey on the weak. 
you're probably going to find yourself a little bit disappointed at times, right? And if you're expecting that all those hundreds of people on Capitol Hill are going to exude from their pores at all times some kind of uh, excellent moral fiber that also holds to the values that you hold as Christians, you're probably going to be a little bit disappointed, aren't you? And maybe that's part of the reason why they have such a low approval rating, because we don't see such a high, even unrealistic ideal that we expect from them. Now, God certainly does tell us to honor and respect our elected leaders, even the ones that we don't agree with. He tells us to obey the laws that they place over us and to even pray for them. He tells us even insofar as we are able to live as model citizens so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. But God never once tells us that we should expect from those earthly rulers that they are going to bring us into some kind of problemless paradise where we all live in utter safety and prosperity or even anything close to that. In fact, God at times tells us that we should really expect the exact opposite because any earthly ruler is human. And that's why earthly rulers can never give you the paradise that they promise. This is true for Republicans, it's true for Democrats and Independents, and anybody in between along the political spectrum. It's true for male and female leaders, true for young and old. And as we dive into our lesson from Jeremiah 23 today, we are going to see the reason why this is. And we're also going to see the reason why that doesn't matter quite so much as we think it does. Because there is indeed a ruler over us that gives us everything that we need. Now, before we dive into those verses, just want to give you a little bit of background here. Um, Jeremiah, whose prophecies we are reading in this lesson, Jeremiah was really like the, the last of the major prophets of the kingdom of Israel as it existed under their kings. In fact, Jeremiah was the prophet who was serving during the reigns of the last five kings of Judah. Their names were Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and then just to break up the J pattern thing, the last one was Zedekiah, okay? Um, and it was during the reign of that final one, Zedekiah, that God uttered these words through his prophet Jeremiah. And we're just going to start with the first couple of verses, and they sound fairly scathing. As God says, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. Now, it's worth noting that the last four kings of Judah were ones that God and that scripture label evil kings. They were hostile to the worship of the Lord. They were hostile to the messages that God spoke through his prophets, sometimes even killing, imprisoning those prophets. They promoted idolatry and immorality. 
They loved and lived for personal pleasure. They manipulated and mistreated and mismanaged the people of Israel to their own advantage. They got into bed with the kings of neighboring nations around them, creating treaties with them, and then often breaking those alliances, not only to their own personal detriment, but to the detriment of their people. In short, those kings were exactly the sort of kings that God told his people to expect. You see, if you rewind in Israel's history to the time that they first entered into the promised land and took that as their inheritance from God, they didn't have kings. Rather, we should say they had one king, and he was the king of heaven. And that king told them, love me, worship me, obey me, and I will bless you. But then the people would turn their hearts away from him. They would turn to idols. They would turn to immorality. And so God would often give them into the hands of their enemies for a time. And so he raised up these people called judges. And those judges, they were not kings. They were not rulers in that sense. Rather, those judges would deliver, God would use them to deliver the people from the hands of their enemies and set them on the spiritual straight and narrow path again. Until again, they would repeat the pattern, they would fall away, and you kind of had this revolving door of the judges then. Well, it was during the time of the last judge, Samuel, who was an aging man by this point, that the people of Israel decided that they were finished with this arrangement. And that's what we find. If you go to 1 Samuel 8, verses 4 and 5, here's what we read. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have, right? They wanted to be like these other countries around them. They wanted a king who would lead them in battle, a king who would protect their borders and govern them, a king who would bring that sense of royalty and majesty to them as a nation. In short, they thought that safety, security, and prosperity could be found in the hands of of an earthly king. Now God goes on in 1 Samuel 8 to tell them, the kings that you get are not who you expect that they will be. God warns them, these people are going to be selfish. They are going to use and abuse you to gain their own power and their own wealth. And yet the people continued to insist. And so God let them have it their way. And he let them have their kings. The irony in all of this, of course, is that they already had a king. And not some feeble king of this earth who at best would rule them well for 40 or 50 years before passing away. They had the king of heaven, eternal, almighty, a king who told them, love me, obey me, worship me with all of your hearts, and you will remain rooted in this land. You will have mind-blowing prosperity such as you could not even imagine. But the people didn't want that king. So they rejected him. And that's what God says just a couple of verses later. In chapter 8, verse 7, it is not you he tells this to Samuel, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. 
And I think sometimes we very easily slip into a similar mindset as those early Israelites did. We think sometimes that if only this or that president were, were sitting in the Oval Office signing the executive orders and those bills into law that come across his or her desk, and if only this party or that party were, were the political majority on Capitol Hill, if only this governor were, were, were conducting the affairs in my state, well, then everything would finally be well and good again. We would have the safety. We would sleep in peace every night. We would be prosperous. Has that been the reality in the past? Maybe there are times when we feel like things are going a little bit better, a little bit worse. But at best, that only lasts for a few years, right? Do you know why no earthly ruler can ever give you what you hope they will? What you maybe even sometimes expect they will? It's because none of them, not even the very best, is God. Right? We want people in authority over us who have that ability to, to keep us safe, to make us feel secure. But at very best, human power is always a finite thing. We want leaders who have that wisdom to craft ironclad economic policies and who have all of the right answers to, to pandemics and natural disasters. But human wisdom is always limited. And even if there were somebody who had absolute power and absolute wisdom, guess what? They would also need perfect love so that they would always have concern for the people that they are serving and not concern for their own selves. But what do we find with human beings that even the very best of them can sometimes show very little love for others and so much love for self? And so, where do we find ourselves with these earthly rulers, right? It's not just foolishness to look to them for something that only God can give you. It's actually idolatry. Because only God has that right and that capability. And if we are ascribing that honor, even potentially, to somebody else, that's idolatry. And Israel deserved rejection for rejecting their king. They deserve that Lord of heaven to strip away from them his love and his rule for good. And we who so often seek from earthly rulers and earthly things what only God can give, we deserve that too. To walk in, in darkness apart from his kingdom and apart from all of the blessings that come with his kingdom. But what do we find? Right? If we go back to verses 1 and 2, even after hundreds and hundreds of years of Israel thumbing their noses and turning their backs on their king, what does he say? What does he call that nation? He 
calls them my pastor. And he calls its citizens my people and my flock. Though the people reject their king, the king does not reject them. How then does he bring his rule back into their hearts and back over their lives? Well, let's finish our reading from Jeremiah today, and then we'll answer some of those questions. God continues speaking here and says, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend to them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. Now there's actually a clever little play on words here. Uh, you see the name Zedekiah, right? He's the king during this time. Do you know what the name Zedekiah means, literally translated from the Hebrew? It means the Lord is righteous. And yet Zedekiah had not lived up to his namesake very well. He did not love and worship the Lord. He certainly did not pursue the righteousness of God. And so the Lord says that he will raise up another king, a king of an entirely different class from David's line. This one who is called the branch in our text and whose name is this, the Lord, our righteousness. Who is this king? It's the same one who was there the whole time. It's God made flesh. We, of course, more commonly know him as Jesus. The true Zedekiah who reigns wisely who governs his people in safety and with justice, who does what is right for all of God's people. Of course, we want to ask the question, does he have the power? Does he have the wisdom? Does he have the love? Well, does he have the power? Remember that this is the same one who calmed storms with a single word, whose touch healed the lepers, and who even went into battle with death and came out on top. Does he have the power? Absolutely. His power is almighty. Does he have the wisdom? Well, remember again that this is the one who thwarted every temptation that Satan threw his way, the one who always had an irrefutable answer for any objection that his opponents brought to him, the same one that our lesson from Colossians told us earlier, through whom all things that we see around us in this earth and in the heavens were made, including you and me ourselves. Of course, the power and the wisdom don't mean much for us 
if the love isn't there. So does he have the love? Remember that this is the same one who showed mercy to tax collectors and sinners, people whom nobody else would have shown mercy toward. The one who always gave his time and gave of himself to anybody who came to him with a problem or a question. The one who even allowed his earthly rulers to string him up between two common criminals on a cross in order to pay for your sin and for mine. The very same one who even walked through blackest hell itself in order to rescue the very people who rejected him as their king. Stop looking to earthly rulers for what they can never and would never give you. You don't need to look to them because Christ alone has the power, wisdom, and love to give you true safety and everlasting prosperity. Now, does this mean that, that nobody can harm you here? Does it mean that nobody can manipulate or mistreat you, that bad people can't still do bad things to you? That, that's not what we're saying. Here's what it does mean. It means that Christ is king. And that because he is the king who rules in your hearts through faith, you have a kingdom that can never be taken away from you. And that you have blessings of that kingdom that no matter that remain yours no matter what harm might befall you from sinful people, even from sinful rulers of this world. Maybe you're happy with those elections. Maybe you're not. And if you're not, well, you get a do-over again in a couple of years. Whatever the case, remember that you have something that no finite, selfish, short-sighted, 21% approval rating earthly ruler ever could or ever would give you. You have grace upon grace. You have the grace of Christ ruling in your hearts through faith. And that means that you also have the grace of eternal safety and of everlasting prosperity in a kingdom that cannot be taken away from you under a king that cannot ever be conquered. Christ rules. And he rules all things for you. Amen. Thank you.